0: Welcome to the second episode of the Nightman Podcast, Freeform Improv in the Dark. This episode, Mangled, featuring a look at the Nightman's shady <laughs> origins, a brief celebration of a recently departed Nightman champion, and a pretty weird supervillain. Freeform Improv in the Dark, the Nightman Podcast. Hi, I'm Ben Ben Avery, and you heard that right. This is episode two of Freeform Improv in the Dark, the Nightman podcast, and I am here because, well, I love the Ultraverse, and I love the Nightman. Uh, not the guy, but the, the the title. You know, you know what I mean, and. I really just enjoy comic books. I'm a comic book writer. I'm a comic book editor. I'm a comic book fan. I've been reading comic books ever since I've been reading. And The Nightman was the title from the Ultraverse that pulled me into this universe. It's the one that kept me in this universe. And then it's the one that made me decide why I want more of this universe and caused me to just start collecting all of the comic books in the Ultraverse line. But the Nightman has always remained my favorite. It's Steve Englehart, and he, he's, he was the creative driving force the entire time. Now, there is one creative driving force that we're going to be talking about in a moment here that makes Nightman a little more special in general, if not special to me. For me, the end-all, the be-all, the comic book Nightman that Steve Englehart was the writer of is, is it. You know that's that's just it, but there is something else that is different and that separates the nightman from the rest of the pack. We'll get to that in just a second. For right now, I did want to uh, just briefly say this is a part of the Altiverse network, the Altiverse podcast network that you can find at altiversepodcast dot com. You can find a couple different podcasts there at altiversepodcast dot com. They're all in one feed in iTunes. And so we're all together, but if you go to ultraversepodcast.com, you can find specific episodes and you know postings where you can listen to it on your browser or whatever. But it is all one big feed. And and that feed includes three podcasts right now. We're hoping to add more, but one of the podcasts is obviously this one. Since you're listening to this one, you probably figured that out. Another podcast is Prime of Your Life. And that's hosted by the Irredeemable Shag and David Gutierrez. And they talk about the Ultraverse just in general terms. And then finally, we have a, a podcast called um, Wrath, Wrath of Aladdin. And that is hosted by Kane Dor, And he's kind of using that podcast to explore different corners of the Ultraverse, uh, primarily starting with, with Solitaire. He's already done one episode of that and, and together, you, you take these three podcasts, you, you bring them together, you, you unite them, and it's the Ultiverse Network. And it's basically just a bunch of guys like me who really, really like the Ultraverse publishing universe, published by Malibu at first, and then bought by Marvel, and, and then published by Marvel. So today I'm here to talk about issue number two of the Nightman. I'm also, like I said... In a moment, going to talk about some of Nightman's roots, uh, but something came up this week that kind of interrupted my my plans. I, I wasn't expecting to talk about this so early, but the Nightman what makes what separates the Nightman from a lot of the Ultraverse is that the Nightman actually had a live action TV show that ran for two seasons. Now there was the animated Ultra Force cartoon show that ran for, I think, a single season, and and Nightman appeared in that, but he wasn't a, a primary focus there. This TV show was just about the Nightman. It was just about Johnny Domino. Now, the thing about the TV show, I don't want to knock it, I don't want to knock it, but I kind of have to, because I didn't really like it that much, but it was created by Glenn Larson. The, the show was created by Glenn Larson. Obviously the character and, and um, the primary elements of the character were created by, by Steve Englehart, but the show was, was created by Glenn Larson and, and kicked into syndication where we're talking late nineties. Now there was a number of, of action shows that were in syndication at that time. And, The Nightman is really part of that breed of television show that it's not completely mindless, but it's pretty much the kind of thing you can just turn on and just kind of watch, you know, and you don't have to really get into it. You just have to enjoy it for that evening or for that afternoon or whenever it came on. I did, when it came out, watch a few episodes of it. I was really curious and interested and maybe... I don't remember being excited, but definitely curious and interested about the possibility of a TV show based on one of my favorite comic book titles, and I also remember being not really that impressed by it. Uh, it just it just didn't catch me, and it wasn't the kind of thing that I decided I was going to try and catch continually. I did watch a few episodes here and there, and I've watched some episodes since it originally aired, and it didn't really age that well. I, I didn't really... We are going to t- have an episode where we'll talk about the uh, the live action series. I need to watch more of the live action series before I can really judge it well. I'm judging it based on having seen a few episodes fairly recently and having seen a few episodes in the you know the distant past. Here we're talking, you know, in the late '90s. You know, and it was of a kind. There was just a certain kind of tone that was set by those action TV shows that were in syndication rather than on primetime they had to be a little bit cheaper but they also had to you know they had the opportunity to be a little cheesier but they took themselves seriously as well they weren't as cheesy as like when hercules came on the scene with kevin sorbo and and he kind of had that that shift of kind of self-aware cheesiness in the syndicated television shows that were were going on around then Uh, But with Nightman, it definitely took itself seriously, although the character tended toward uh, his powers tended to be more of an Iron Iron Man type of thing, where his he had a suit that let him fly and had a cloaking device and and that kind of thing. He still had the whole, you know, hearing evil thoughts kind of thing going on. They tried to present it in a visual way. So to me, it just didn't really work as well as the comic book did. But I was biased, and I do know there are people who do like that show, and I totally do not hold that against them, uh, because honestly, it just it was a thing, you know, it was a thing, and it just didn't catch me the way that the comic book caught me. However, Glenn Larson, the creator, he he died recently, and one of, that's why I'm bringing this up is because when I found out he died, I, I thought about it, and, and I thought, you know, this is a man who had his. Uh, his mark all over my childhood with Battlestar Galactica with Buck Rogers with Knight Rider with um, he wrote a few of the the TV movies that kind of helped launch the six million dollar man and then of course you have the (laughs) Nightman and uh, the Nightman being kind of the end of of his run uh, on TV but I did want to mention that and and one of the things, just as I was thinking about that, was just, you know, this guy, he left a legacy. A huge, huge legacy. And so I, I just wanted to, to bring that up and mention it. And we'll come back to the TV show. But, uh, but yeah, Glenn Larson passed away recently. And, and so, yeah, this is kind of a tribute to him because... Not because of the Nightman TV show, because I'm kind of... Here, I'm doing a tribute to a man and then talking back, smack about his TV show. But, really, this guy, he... He was there for a long period of my life, especially my early life with these shows that were just coming and becoming a part of my DNA. Um, oh, <laughs> BJ and the Bear and Sheriff Lobo—they're also two shows that I loved as a kid. And so, yeah. So this was just a just a short tribute to him there, but um, just he was also a part of Nightman history. So I wanted to, to just mention that. It is November 2014. And so that means we' are going to be looking back to November of nineteen ninety three at issue two of the Nightman, but before we do, I have one more thing we need to talk about, and that is Steve Engelhart and well he, the Nightman has roots in some things before the ultraverse was created. I did not know about this until Shag mentioned this to me, but i'm i'm going to bring this up on my computer here just a second and uh I just want to talk about this because I want to tell you about a, a, a comic book that I read recently. So first, uh, it's a number one issue, although number two does feed into this a little bit. And it's about a, a character who is a jazz musician with with long hair pulled into a ponytail. And as he's playing the saxophone, there's a mysterious woman who's staring at him in a restaurant. And he has a conversation With a beautiful woman who tells him, I have six of your CDs, and when I came into, uh, well, we'll just say town here, I knew I just had to see you live. And also in that conversation, he mentions that jazz is freeform improv in the dark. It comes up again in a monologue while he's fighting crime about, you know, that being freeform improvisation in the dark, and... He doesn't feel comfortable in the light and has to wear sunglasses to protect his eyes. And he decides he's going to wear a mask and fight crime. Now, this uh, issue that I was talking about, uh, it could actually very easily be a little bit of a recap of some of the early issues of Nightman, primarily Nightman number one. It's actually from Shadow Man, which was also written by Steve Englehart. Now, Shadow Man was a little bit before the Nightman. It was published by Valiant. And if you go to Steve Englehart's website, he um, mentions that uh, he had written issue one of Shadow Man and then plotted issue two. And I'm just going to read here from Steve Englehart's uh, website, steveenglehart.com. He says, I co-created Shadow Man with artist David Latham, Later famous for Stray Bullets, we took full advantage of Jim Shooter's promise that I could write Shadow Man my way if I wrote Exo Man of War his way. But once you read the first issue, Jim couldn't stand the deviation from his style. He apologized profusely and sincerely, even telling me to tell people he'd been, un- he'd been able- unable to follow through, but he just couldn't be happy with a voice so different from his own. Nevertheless, Shadow Man went on to become one of Valiant's top titles and a top video game title as well. If you then uh, move on in his comic book uh, career, The Nightman comes up pretty quickly after that. and he-, he wrote this about The Nightman. I'd done the definitive Batman, and I co-created Shadow Man. But when Malibu asked me to co-create the Ultraverse and help populate it, I decided to go for the ultimate expression of the dark, loner theme. The man who comes around at night. The Nightman. He existed in a San Francisco of the mind, quote-unquote. San Francisco the way it would be if cool things from all its past, like Playland at the Beach, still existed today. It's the San Francisco that held the Maltese Falcon, and the one with the uh, Trans-American Pyramid. The Nightman villains were one strong creation after another: Deathmask, Mangle, Guy Hunt, Rhiannon, Nikolai Apokolov, Chalk, Rigoletto, Bloodfly, or Bloodyfly. The wonderful thing about the Ultiverse was that it was a collaborative effort. Mike Barr, Steve Gerber, James Hudnell, Gerard Jones, James Robinson, Led Strazinski, Len Strazuski, and I, plus Larry Niven for a time, all agreed from the outset that the to share the playground and join in each other's games. Thus, it was that the Nightman debuted at Halloween. And immediately got caught up in the company-wide breakthrough crossovers. But that was what made Malibu unique to the public and a family for us founding fathers. The Nightman starred in an episode of the Ultra Force animated series. Unlike The Strangers, it was not the pilot for his own animated series. But unlike The Strangers, he soon got a live-action series, Nightman. He was the only Ultra to make that leap. I wrote three episodes of that series, making it five Hollywood productions I've generated directly to this point so anyway that 's uh, a little bit of his his uh, background there on on the Nightman. He also does kind of get into some of the in the footnotes some of the the things about artists and and also some of the things that he he liked about the the Nightman TV show and his specific uh, contributions to the Nightman TV show at any rate uh, that also then kind of brings us back to Glenn Larson with that TV show. And I just found it really interesting with Shadow Man, the things that were in that first issue that really come back up uh, from the mysterious woman who goes on to become some sort of supernatural creature that is really intrigued. with. it. It was really interesting to see basically the seeds for Rhiannon, who's going to come in a few episodes from now on this podcast. It was also interesting to see the whole idea of freeform improv in the dark. I couldn't believe. I literally I, I read that and just gasped out loud. i I got to that point in the comic book and just went, oh, I couldn't believe it. and And Shag had mentioned to me that some of these elements of The Nightman were kind of in that Shadow Man comic book. I did not realize how deep the elements were that Steve Englehart was pulling on when he went in to use these for the Nightman. Obviously, this sounds like he was dealing with a concept that he did not want to let go of, and he had a second chance after the whole thing, like he mentioned in his in, from his website, with, with Jim Shooter. So, wow, the, it just blew my mind, especially that phrase. Uh, and, and maybe it shouldn't have. I mean, leading up to that phrase, because this is mirroring the... F- conversation that johnny domino has with the waitress who was killed in the first issue of nightman he's actually having that conversation with the mysterious woman instead in shadow man and now the mysterious woman in nightman she's there but she doesn't have any kind of um uh, verbal contact with johnny domino it's more of an eye contact kind of thing but the dialogue right there it's they're from each other. The, the woman says, I have six of your CDs. I knew that when I moved into New Orleans, in the case of the, the shadow man story that I would have to see you live. And the woman in the, it, it just always struck me as odd that the woman in Nightman you know, just, There was that coincidence of, I have six of your CDs and I want to see you live. Well, it's pulled, pulled right out of, of shadow man. And then that leads into the, a line that allows him to, to give the it's free form improv in the dark. So yeah, uh, I do want to give a, a special thanks to Shag for, for pointing this out to me because this is a part of the Nightman history that I never ever knew that it went that deep. I, it's not on Steve Englehart's website. It's not anywhere that I've ever come across and, until Shag mentioned something to me. So Anyway, that is a little, just a little glimpse into the, the, the genesis of, of the Nightman. And I am curious now, what is some of the backstory there? If I ever get a chance to talk to Steve Englehart, I want to talk to him and, and ask him, what is the connection between Shadow Man and, and Nightman? What caused you to want to hold on to those elements? And is it just that you had a great story idea, you didn't want to let it go, and you didn't have to? Uh, I, I just, I'm very, very curious. So, from there, uh, we're, this episode is obviously about Issue 2 of The Nightman, and just to kind of give you a, a little bit of a heads up of what's coming up, we, we're going to play a promo for another podcast that I enjoy listening to. We'll talk about Issue 2, we'll talk about the three acts of Issue 2, we'll have another uh, commercial break, so to speak. Then we have do we have a piece of feedback, a listener feedback, and we'll briefly touch on what else was happening in the, the Ultraverse in this month. And from there, we'll end the episode, and then turn it over to whoever has the next episode next week, whether it's Prime of Your Life or or uh, the the uh, Wrath of Aladdin. So for right now, it's it's time to play that promo. Daddy, what did you do when Atlantis attacked? I donned my iron armor to fight with Namor the submariner. That was Iron Man. What did you do when I landed at the house? I gathered a group of heroes to fight against the serpent crime with my mighty shield held high. That's Captain America. Try again. I spun a web any size? Spider Man. Uh, I punished the drug dealers? I have no idea. But are you just doing another podcast? Another podcast? Yes. Mark's Mess vs. Atlantis Attacks A 15 part limited podcast series examining the Marvel annuals that have the banner heading of Atlantis Attacks A story Ooh. A story joining the Marvel heroes against the Serpent Crown Find it at marksmesspodcast.blogspot.co.uk Ooh. On Twitter at Mark's Mess Podcasts and on iTunes by searching Mark's Mess. Where's my And just briefly, uh, I only play podcast promos for podcasts that I actually like and listen to. So, um, yeah, that's that's a podcast that I've really enjoyed, and it kind of gets into the the same um, spirit of what we're doing here with with the Ultraverse and what I'm doing here with with the Nightman. So, yeah, I I, I do recommend checking out uh, Mark's Mess podcast. Where Mark's Mess. He also did one with the High Evolutionary and the Evolutionary War. Annual series that they did in in the eighties and now he's tackling Atlantis attacks, so moving on to the nightman uh, Nightman issue number two it, <laughs> it has a cover that uh it's it's just a weird cover it's it's weird because it both tells you what's on the inside and doesn't tell you what's on the inside it has the nightman and it has uh, mangle and it has so the villain of the piece and they're getting ready to fight in the background in this weird angle and i just can't figure out why it's like this because it's a cover that i kind of have to keep hidden not because of what's on it but because of what it suggests is in it uh it's got this lady you know basically it's it's red light district it has these uh, kind of fl- not fluorescent, but the the neon lights. Uh, there's a picture of a lady who's wearing a, a skimpy bikini kind of thing. But then it's got it's got the the one thing that's that's very most noticeable is that it says nude girls right there. Uh, so basically, they're I guess they're fighting here in the red light district. There aren't any in the issue now in Shadow Man. There were it was close anyway, and. In Shadow Man, where he plotted issue number two, they actually go to, you know, that classic 80s trope or 90s trope, too, of the action movie where they have their uh, man-to-man meetings, you know, at the strip club. And so here's the thing, though. I'm looking at this cover, and it's like, okay, I just – just to avoid any kind of, you know, trouble is the kind of thing where it's just, oh, good grief. You know, I, I don't want my mom to see this. Of course, I'm 40. I'm not too worried about my mom seeing it. But when I was younger, it was the kind of thing where I don't want my mom to see this. Now, I was a geek. And as a kid, my mom did find a stash of magazines hidden under my bed. Uh, But as a geek, the stash of magazines was not what you might be thinking. The stash of magazines was actually Starlog. And, yes, I, I had a friend who gave me a pretty close to complete run of Starlog issues number one through, I think... Uh, maybe into the 80s, something like that. I mean, there was just a, a whole big slew of magazines. And I didn't want my parents to know that I had them for one reason. I don't even know why, but I hid them in my room. I think it was because I thought they were just going to make me give them back. But anyway, you know, that's what my mom found hidden under my, my mattress. But um, this comic book, I look at the cover, and I'm just like, it's just there. It's so blatant. And yet, you know, there's nothing... Of the kind within the pages of the book, and so I, I don't understand why the cover was drawn to be like that. Uh, other than that, I mean, it's an action e cover. It's a, it just, it doesn't have the same um, energy or or flow or just the vibe of the character that we got from issue one, and that is one big difference here. Is that the issue one artist? Is not here, Derek Robinson is gone, and he 's missed to me. Uh, I do think that if the first issue hadn 't been as strong as it was, this second issue might not have carried my interest, but because issue one was so strong, issue two was allowed to be a little bit weaker to keep me going and 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 I was still in. With issue two, I said, okay, I'm going to keep moving with this. This is I'm liking where it's going. But if issue one had been a little bit weaker, I, I might not have been so forgiving with issue two. It's not to say that it's bad. I'm, I'm not saying that. I, I'm just saying it, it's not as good as issue number one. Now, the artist here is Gene Ha, who now I'm familiar with, but at the time I had no idea who the guy was. And I'm not sure how many people did know who the guy was at the time. Looking at his, his career uh, on Mike's Amazing World of Comics at DCindexes.com, I see that Gene Ha had only done a couple like uh, Green Lantern stories before he did this Nightman issue. He's good. He's good. The inker is Andrew Papoy, and the letter is Dave Lanthier, and the colorist was Timothy T. Devar? Diver. In the comic, it's it's that color design is attributed to him, but the food hammer is, is attributed as the colorist, and again, Gene Haw did the the cover, and so that's nice. I mean, there's there's so there's consistency between the cover and the interiors. But turning it into the book and looking at Act One here, we we start with the Nightman, well Johnny Domino in bed. He can't sleep. Now it's a full-page splash of just looking down on his bed. He's in bed with the covers, but there's no background. You don't see the floor or anything like that. It's just the mattress and the guy, and he just can't sleep. And I can relate to this. I have trouble sleeping sometimes, and maybe that's something that that caused me to to relate more to Johnny Domino than I would to other superheroes. Turns out, though, that actually it's a medical condition because of the the metal that's lodged in his brain, like totally knocked out the, the sleep note or whatever it is he can't sleep so he wants to maybe blow some sacks but no no he can't do that at, at three fifty-three or whatever it is turns on the tv there's nothing on and he's just haunted by thoughts of ginger who had died in issue one so he suits up he looks like the Nightman now he's got the cape he's got the his, his rope he's got his pouches on his belt not as bad as most 90s pouches go. It actually looks functional. Uh, he's got his mask on with the two sized eyes, and he gets on his motorcycle and he rides. And he's listening for evil thoughts. And he hears evil thoughts. I'm going to grind your bones, little boy. I'm going to grind them into paste and mix them with blood or your blood. And come on, guy. I uh, like to play. And so Nightman hears this and he goes after whoever's making this. And there's this guy in a trench coat who is accosting a child, a young boy, about 10, 11, 12 years old. The guy in the trench coat moves really weird. And it turns out he moves really, really weird because he's got this exoskeleton thing kind of going on. And he's, I think, naked. Under the trench coat. He's also really strong. Because of this exoskeleton that actually gives form to his body. And he's driving this classic convertible car. Uh, he goes and creates a diversion that puts the child in danger. Jumps into his car and takes off. The child is a runaway. And it turns out he. You know, Nightman asks him if he, you know who that guy was. And the kid's like, I don't know who he is. Just leave me alone. And Nightman says, no, I'm, I'm taking you home. And listens to the kid's story about why this kid is a runaway. And when he brings him home, his dad's pretty angry. But Nightman uh, basically, I think he, well, he, he says that he's heard Adam's side of the story. And despite his talk and his anger, um, he thinks that things can be worked out between the father and the son. So he had been on patrol and he's done his duty, and he's taken care of this crime. But Mangle escaped. Now, I, I really... I, I, there's not a lot here to talk about. The, the art is solid. And it, I do have a little bit of issue with the way he handles the, the runaway, where he just takes him home, throws him back to his dad, who's really, really upset. Uh, but uh, you know things weren't quite as bad as uh, it could have been, and so Nightman felt confident in leaving him there. But you have the introduction of the villain; you have him wearing this weird exoskeleton, and he—he's interesting. And I do want to know: okay, what is the deal with this bad guy? And so now we're, we move into Act Two. Now, if you hadn't listened to uh, Episode One of the Nightman podcast. Uh, I do kind of arbitrarily divide up the comic book into Act one, Act two, Act three. Um, um, not not that Steve Engelhart maybe deals with that act structure in mind, but most stories, even if they're not intentionally written with the act the three act structure in mind, they tend to follow into that you know the beginning, the middle, and the end. We had our setup here with this new villain and now we're moving into the middle where the villain. Knows that the Nightman exists. Now he tears off the the exoskeleton braces. He, he is living. I guess under San Francisco. In this kind of weird area. Uh, down it says. Somewhere in the bowels of San Francisco. Is the description. And he tears off these braces. He hates them. But he cannot. Live without these. These braces that have. These kind of rubber band type connectors. That, like I said, gives him more strength than a, a normal human would have. So he he has left the Nightman to go down into the bowels of San Francisco. Nightman leaves Mangle to climb up the Trans America Pyramid. He's going up above the city. And I mentioned the Trans America Pyramid uh, last last episode uh, because in the, it's it, it's seen a couple times in that first issue. I said it was an important place, and it's an important place because that's where JD Hunt is. And JD Hunt is a rich kind of uh, super villainy type of guy. And Nightman is visiting him because when he was tangling with Mangle, uh it was mentioned um something about Newware. And so he comes and says, I, I'm coming here to actually help you out a little bit. I I know something that you might like to know about Newware. And J.D. Hunt says, "Well, that's my company. Its offices are in Sunnyvale. Leave my, leave me alone. This is my private office. It's private for a reason." And so, while Nightman is there talking to J.D. Hunt, there's a picture that J.D. Hunt kind of uh, motions to unconsciously that it says, "Love you, Dad, guy." Now, I mentioned earlier how that was what uh, Mangle was calling the kid. And Nightman says, Guy, Mangle said, come on, Guy, I like to play. And he thought he was just using that word as kid. But now he's thinking, well, what if Guy Hunt, J.D. Hunt's son, was actually the target? Meanwhile, people are looking up at the building and they're seeing him. And he says, I don't want an audience. Jazzman, yes. Nightman, no. And so he quickly gets his motorcycle and gets out of there. From there, he goes to Playland at the beach. It's 3 o'clock in the morning again. And he wants to go somewhere private where he can play the saxophone. Because he can't sleep again. He doesn't need to sleep. But it's not completely private. His dad is there. And his dad's locking up. And he's chief security, so he should be there. And Eddie Domingo, his father, comes and visits him on the beach and says, uh, There's a little back and forth about I should get the key back from you. But this is where Johnny explains, I don't need sleep anymore. Talk to the doctor today. It's unusual, but the brain has a sleep center. And that shrapnel embedded in my head destroyed it. So he and his father have a heart-to-heart. The conversation here, again, first issue is super strong. This issue, they have this conversation which... typically this is the thematic conversation this is where the theme of the story comes out and gives you know johnny what he needs and it does it does do that the conversation has johnny kind of vaguely referring to a problem he has and you know you taught me to play the hand you're dealt and and his, his father says you see that moon up there 25 years ago men landed on it 90 years ago man had never even flown uh, and he talks about heroes and people who did great things, and all they did was take the hand that they were dealt and play it. He says, people like us, we went to the moon, we can't forget. And this is where he says, you know what, you're right. I'm ready to play my hand. I'm ready to spit in death's eye. He is ready to go after Mangle. Well, the, the problem here, and that's, that's kind of where I'm ending Act 2, but the, the problem is it just... It moves things forward, but it feels a little forced. And it's good that Eddie is brought in because his dad is one of the best parts of the the comic. That that he is a great supporting cast member, especially in the earlier issues. Um, But the conversation just feels like, well, we went to the moon and played the hand that was dealt them. Well, no. When you went to the moon, they weren't playing the hand that was dealt them. They were dealing themselves a new hand. They were pushing to go to the moon, and it 's a completely different kind of of situation where here Johnny's been given a situation and, and kind of forced into you know having to be a crime fighter or protect people because of his powers it just It just falls flat for me, and again, like I said it 's not bad it 's just not great and that first issue is strong, one of the strongest first issues that i 've read. In my entire comic book reading career. This second issue. It's like a lot of TV shows. Where the pilot episode. Is really really good. Because it's been refined. For a longer period of time. And when the pilot episode is finally greenlit, And they shoot it. And then they say we're going to green a, light a series. All of a sudden it's like okay. We got to get something fast. Going fast. But act three. Things pick up for me. And it, it, here you have Nightman. Kind of doing his detective work, he figured out that Guy Hunt is somehow related to Mangle, so he's going to find Guy Hunt and protect him. Unfortunately, in going to protect him, he causes the limo that he's in to get into an accident, and it actually causes uh, Guy Hunt to get a bloody nose because he's not uh, he's in the back seat of, of the limo. The limo drivers pull their firearms on Nightman, but Nightman says, "You know what." I have information I need to give to Guy. I need to talk to him, let him know what's going on. I want to protect him. And so the Guy Hunt listens and he, he's, he gives some information about who Mangle is. And here's where things get a little bit weird as we're getting into Mangle's origin. Uh, Guy reveals he was my history tutor when I was younger. Jeremiah Sturm. He was really nice at the start, but he went crazy. My dad said he lived in the past too much. He thought he was some ancient emperor and kids were his slaves and he could kill his slaves if he wanted. Dad had him put away at our expense, but he tried to escape and fell down some stairs. The guards said dad got him the best doctors, but a lot of his bones were broken. And so that's explaining the whole uh, exoskeleton thing there. He loves San Francisco history too, especially the ferry building and so Nightman says, ooh, Ferry Building, I'm going to go there, you you get somewhere safe. And so he goes to the Ferry Building. Now this is, again, some more of these kind of San Francisco landmarks. And he goes to confront Mangle, who's kind of standing on this, now the Ferry Building is kind of a clock tower kind of thing, I'm not familiar with it as a landmark, but mangle is kind of standing up on the top there uh kind of like king kong hanging on with one arm and standing and the other arm swinging around and nightman goes up to confront him uh actually nightman pulls his gun on mangle uh but <laughs> it's kind of funny and this is a, a nice little element here kind of that year 1 feel uh the safety's still on mangle knows it and notices it and calls it out nightman realizes too late Just a quick public service announcement, by the way. If you're going to go out and fight crime using a firearm, it's probably a good idea to get training to use said firearm. Those kind of things, like the safety being on, that's the kind of thing that you want to learn to take care of very naturally and automatically. Instead of having your supervillain call out for you that your primary weapon is is not going to do much good against him. Just, again, just for your information. uh, Use it as you will. If you go out to fight crime. As a vigilante carrying a firearm. So anyway, Mangle attacks. Knocks him down into some electrical work. And they fight. But it's a a good enough fight. I, I like it. But guy hunt shows up and this is where things get uh, again we're getting weird e- even even more weird here guy hunt calls out break his collarbone he hates that and nightman's thinking what and i'm thinking what what does that mean and so he goes for it but um, the reason uh, well actually we don't find out the reason there that does pay off Uh, We are ending on a cliffhanger, though. Um, Mangle almost knocks out Nightman. Could kill Nightman, but chooses not to because he likes to play, is what he says. He jumps off the roof. The guards shoot at him, but the exoskeleton uh, framework protects him from bullets. He gets away. And the Nightman realizes the guy is there. And guy says he ran around save me nightman and nightman goes to look and basically says i've been lied to and realizes that 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 guy has has lied to him the story continues then in next month uh, in freaks number 6 and concludes in the nightman number 3 both of those are part of the breakthrough crossover but looking at this this ending maybe the reason that this doesn't um resound as much with me is because it ends on a cliffhanger and not only it ends on a cliffhanger but the next issue was was freaks of course i bought it of course i did when i was reading nightman but the just this this fight scene was kind of cool but then you you have these kind of elements that are dropped and and not really picked up and pulled that again you have this whole emperor thing he used he, he went crazy and thought he was an emperor and and thought that he could kill his slaves, and kids were his slaves, and then you have the whole break his collarbone nightmare man. He hates that, which is just kind of a weird thing to say, although it turns out when you do get into the resolution of this story, it's not that weird, like I said, I mean, in conclusion, really it's it's good enough to keep me interested, especially when I was first buying the the comic book good enough to keep me interested. Not the, not quite the height of greatness that the the first issue had for me, but I'll be continuing now just as I continued back then when we get into December of 1993. Looking at the rest of the book then, uh, outside of the story, every single ad was a video game ad. There's a Terminator 2 video game ad. There's a, uh, Lethal Enforcers um video game ad where it's uh, actually like a light gun that you can use with your your what's it with the Sega CD system there's Robocop 3 video game ad there is uh War World Heroes World Heroes video game I never heard of that one there's a Super Advantage Super Nintendo controller video game ad and it seems like there's one more... Oh, no, it, the other ones that are house ads. There's Exiles and then Hero Illustrated, which I believe was published by Malibu. I just couldn't believe it. Like, I, I was going looking through it and thinking, oh, I video game, video game, video... Literally every single ad except for the two house ads are video game ads, which is kind of interesting, but also at the same time kind of, I guess, a little sad. Then you did have the two... Um, two pages of the ultra files where it's it's talking about what else is on sale and showing prime number six and mantra and freaks number five strangers number six solitaire number one which was talked about in wrath of Aladdin there um, the other one of the other podcasts on the network here hard case so yeah that was <laughs> it's kind of interesting there's so many ads for video games and no ads for anything like I don't know You know, hostess fruit pies or something like that. I wonder... Well, I wonder what would happen if they would have just had some sort of hostess ad... in the Ultraverse... in November of 1993. A Nightman in... Oh, what a mangled web we weave! I'm gonna get you, kid! No! Help, Nightman! Mangle, leave that kid alone. Never. I'm an emperor, and kids are my slaves. I... I don't really understand what you're talking about. Hmm. Gotta think fast. Wait. What's this in my pouch? Aha. Only have one chance. Hey, Mangle. See this? A hostess fruit pie. Catch. Okay. Ow, my collarbone. I know you hate that, but as a superhero, I'm not without mercy. You can eat a fruit pie on your way to jail. Ah, fruity filling makes up for the debilitating pain. You get a big delight in every bite of Hostess Fruit Pies. And we're back. So this is the part of the show when I'm going to look at what else was happening in the Ultraverse uh, for the month of, of November 1993. And also I'm, I'm going to open up the mailbag, uh, the metaphorical mailbag. And looking at what else was out there, first of all, Shadow Man number 19 was hitting stands. Uh, Exiles number four, which is the infamous final issue of that four-issue miniseries that has a... Well, there's a little bit of a controversy there because they had solicited for an issue five because they didn't want to give away what happened in issue number four. Firearm number three came out November 1993, along with Firearm number zero, which is the one that if you listen to the podcast or if you know about the Ultraverse, you probably know about the live action movie that was the first half of issue zero of Firearm. It was continued in an actual comic book then the interesting thing there is that the (laughs) the live action part not very good not very good I I said how I was not very impressed with Nightman when it came out but that was because it was very similar to what was already out there and it wasn't that it was bad it just wasn't great firearm uh, uh, not not great not good uh, it's It was bad firearm number zero, the comic book though actually reads as a self contained story. you just missed out on a little bit of action that happened in the video. You can pick it up and read that zero issue. no problem now the the v h s Tape that came is is one of those kind of cool curiosities that is out there as a collectible. And I I am happy to say that I do have a copy. I don't have a working VCR, but I do have a VHS copy of Firearm. And the other thing that I wanted to mention as far as what was happening in November of 1993 is that Freaks Number Five came out. And why is Freaks Number Five important? Well, because Freaks Number Five feeds into Freaks Number Six, which we will be talking about. In our next episode, because that ties into Nightman as uh, part of that big crossover, Freaks and Nightman crossed over with each other, and and kind of with their own thing within that breakthrough thing that they did. But uh, that's just something else to mention there. So as for the listener feedback, uh, we got a message from Professor Allen, who wrote Ben wanted to know wanted to let you know that I thoroughly enjoyed your coverage of Nightman number one and the telling of your quote Ultraverse origin story. There seems to be a lot more going on in these stories than I guessed in terms of themes and concepts. I look forward to you digging more into those aspects of the issues as the series goes on. Love, love, love the, quote, hostess ad. <laughs> and thanks for playing the of promo in that first episode. Keep up the good work. And yeah, uh, thematically, I like looking for that kind of stuff. Uh, this issue is kind of hard to dig into that because it does continue into the next stuff. We'll probably talk more about theme in the next episode. As we talk about the continuation of this issue. Into Freaks and Nightman. Uh, as for the hostess ad thing. I'm not sure how long it's going to continue. I'm not sure how long. I'll be able to dig out these. Um, unused Ultraverse hostess ads. But. Um, you know, As long as, as people don't complain. And as long as I'm having fun. They'll probably, probably turn up. So I do want to thank you though. For listening Professor Allen. And I do want to thank everyone else. Who is listening right now thank you so much for listening uh if you want to get uh to send in some feedback and like i said i would appreciate that i know shag and dave appreciate that and i'm uh also pretty confident that that kane would appreciate uh any feedback you might have for him with this wrath of aladdin podcast all three of us can be reached at one email address and that's the ultraverse that's sorry no the it's ultraverse network at Gmail dot com and you can also just go to ultraversepocast dot com where there is contact information uh, we are ultraverse net on Twitter, and like I mentioned in our last episode, there is a lively Facebook group on Facebook of, about the ultraverse we don't have our own yet as far as I know I actually should check into that and see if Shag's done something with that yet but um I do just want to thank you for listening again, and uh, if you like this podcast, you might like the Comic Book Time Machine at comicbooktimemachine.com, where we talk about other comic books in, in a similar format to this, and I also host a podcast about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which can be found at dot 7com So, until next time, I, I want to leave you with some, some words of wisdom here. If you have a comic book idea that you really like, and you tried to do it at, a, at your publisher, but your editor-in-chief took it away from you, just give it some tweaks and, and go for it with a different comic company, because comic book writing, like jazz, is just freeform improv in the dark. On the next episode of the Nightman Podcast Breakthrough, Nightman crosses over with the freaks, and everyone else crosses over with everyone else.